Hello guys and welcome to the first episode this year of The Film Angle. Alex, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year. Well, what did you get up to in the New Year? I haven't talked to you since our last episode. Oh, uh, well, what have I been doing? Just kind of eating, drinking, relaxing. Just being just, a you bum. Know, just being a bum, which is, I think <laughs> is, is kind of like Christmas does that to you, doesn't it? Christmas, New Year time. Um, and now it's time to to get out of that headspace and uh, <laughs> get, get back, back to the reality. gym, <laughs> get back to work and uh, get on with things. But uh, no, no. What about yourself? Same. Um, absolutely being a slob. Um, I think the only thing productive probably is the is the uh, the daily dog walk. Um, mm. That's probably <laughs> the most productive part of the day. I love Christmas because it's just a great chance for me to catch up on movies. Um, and I definitely took that opportunity in abundance. Um, so no, it's it, it was good. It's um, my ideal way to spend Christmas is just to chill out and uh, definitely achieve that. Um, so it's a new year now. Tomorrow's back to work, and yeah. Like we were saying just before we we were recording, it's trying to remember where we left off and the work that's going to be left for us and waiting for us when we get back tomorrow is um, it's going to be a personality challenge. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get back into the swing of things. We'll get back into the swing of things. I'm sure. Um, but today we kind of teased this a few episodes ago. We are reviewing. Well, going over our lists of top 10 films of the year respectively you have a list i have a list um we sent these to each other last night i i think i was even still toggling my list um a couple of hours even before starting this episode um there is just so many movies that got up with in 22 so um and 21 that actually were released in the uk this year so if you feel like oh that if you're an american listener or from overseas and you're listening to this episode and wondering why we're talking about a movie from 21 well that's because it was released in the uk in 22 so see i this is the horrible thing about like the year-end list isn't it like Mm -hmm. you i i try to do mine off kind of wide u.s release because if not you end up talking about films that were really in the conversation 2021 you know like films like licorice pizza and stuff like that i'm not going to put them in my 2022 list even though they released in the uk this year i don't know why i just don't like it just doesn't feel right um so i try and base it off that but then there's the other um thing of like there are films coming that have come out in the states that aren't out in the uk which potentially could make our number 10s just from you know just from general feelings alone i'm thinking uh the fablemans and i'm hearing a lot of stuff about babylon um and i've really loved damien chazelle's previous film so you kind of kind of make sure would those things break my top 10 but we're not going to know till late january at this point and that's semi frustrating but um at the same time yeah this is this is the my top 10 of what i've seen from the 2022 slate but i don't know how how do you feel about lists chris because i kind of love them but i also hate them because like my 10 films in this list have all like they were pretty locked in in the last couple of days, but their order has changed around a bit. Like this is how I feel right now at this very moment. But th- these things change. How do you feel about like ranking films in this way? It's really hard because it's something that is purely based on preference, um, as opposed to technicality of what is the best movie. This is really more like to me, it's something that's more personal, and. Day to day, I'm a. <laughs> I feel different. So, um, you know, my, what I'm attuned to, um, for example, I, you know, some days like a big dumb blockbuster is like all, all I'm thinking about, and the next day I'm like, I want something a bit more sad or thought provoking, and it's just really where I'm at in the spot and what's really like ticking over in my head because movies for me, especially the ones that really work, are the ones that kind of replay in your mind on a day to day basis. And those are kind of the ones that stay in your top ten, and that kind of is how I base it for me. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. It's it's not always like this. This is this is the best film, uh, but almost sometimes it's like this is this is the film I had the most fun with. Uh, do I really, you know, just to tease, but you know, do I do I really think that this kind of big flashy film about uh you know pilots <laughs> is is better than this quiet little father daughter uh you know little trip down memory lane grief kind of film 
probably not like that, that that little film's probably better but at the same time i, I really enjoyed the fighter jet film. yeah exactly <laughs> and, you, and you try to take everything as its own you know it's it's that movie you're talking about the first one the, the fighter jet one or the one that's about the father of the daughter they're two different categories and you have to evaluate them within their own categories and not compare them to each other so was you know was you know a star wars movie the best version of that star wars movie it could be and uh, was this independent drama the best version of that it could be and then you kind of take it from there but there's always going to be a bias so please bear that in mind but i tried to be as objective as possible with, with this list um will not have succeeded but these are the top 10 movies sort of in my mind at this moment as we record i've gone with the heart gone with the heart not with the head yeah yeah <laughs> that's the way it's got to be what did you think of uh 2022 in general just as a year for films well in my mind before i made this list i thought that it was sort of a mixed bag but actually there was some pretty good solid films here you know um considering that it's we're coming out of a pandemic well might be coming back into actually um but you know it's been an interesting year after it's been an aftermath sort of year and just things have been picked up productions that are being laid or had to deal with the process of having to deal with um, a big epidemic pandemic like that. Um, so it was kind of interesting. There was actually a lot of solid films. I, a lot of movies that I, on my letterbox page, that I give kind of solid three, three and a half star sort of ratings to. So I think it was a year of pretty solid movies with like, you know, 10 to 20 exceptional films. Yeah, yeah. I I thought I also thought it was like quite a good year for the the some of the kind of big studio releases, the the films where they said here's a 100 million dollars director and just take a mm. big swing with it. And I thought there were some really interesting kind of bigger films released. Um and I and I think maybe we're catching up now with some of the smaller stuff that's going to come out in the next year. That being said, I also think 2023 is like riddled with kind of amazing directors releasing new films and um i'm really i think i think 2023 could be set to be a better year than 22 but uh i i think overall 22 has been a pretty good year for for films yeah i i think 23 is going to be a bigger year for the blockbuster and there's so, there's so much lined up but i think 22 didn't actually have that many those traditional blockbuster movies i just think the one the two or three of them that were were the blockbusters of the years were just so ingrained in our psyche and were so good that mm. it felt like we had a lot of big blockbusters this year. I think that's more the more the case. And I think when I'm looking at the timeline for net, for this year now, 2023, there's a lot of stuff coming up. Um, and a lot of we got a lot of Marvel. Hopefully, it's you know I don't think 22 was the strongest year for Marvel. So let's see how they bounce back this year. Mm. Mm. Okay, so um, I think we'll go dive straight right into our top 10 lists. Alex, do you want to kick us off of your number 10 of 20? Yeah, absolutely. Your opinion. <laughs> uh, this is my opinion, guys. <laughs> um, so my number 10 film of 2022 is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was directed by The Daniels. Um, it is a film that's kind of gained a lot of traction and a lot of love from a lot of people. And um, it's kind of quite obvious to see why it's it's got a brilliant kind of family relationship at the center of it. It's this big multiverse, crazy visual movie, whilst also being just like this, just very small film about you know trying to connect with your mother <laughs> or a mother trying to connect with her daughter it's it's it, it truly is everything everywhere at once it's it's huge and tiny all at the same time um with just some really kind of brilliant brilliant bizarre scenes which um you know feel like they came from the the brains of mad men but, but just work <laughs> at the same time um and and some excellent action to go with it you know you've got you know professional martial artist michelle yo in there doing her thing um it yeah it is it's a it's a brilliant film it's a brilliant film that i think is probably going to be a lot of people's number ones this year uh, but for me um my number 10 
Yeah, there was always like a dangerous expectation going into that movie because everybody was hyping it up so much online that by the time that we got to see it here in the UK, which was a lot later than the US, as as mentioned before, um, you know, you kind of go in with an expectation and sometimes those things aren't met. For me, well, I'll get into later on. This movie Ooh. does this it, movie does appear on my list somewhere, but yeah, for me, it delivered on all those accounts. I think this is a, a really interesting movie and also can tell us tell us as audience that um indie movies can be blockbusters as well so that sets a new ideal a new precedent so what is your number 10 chris so my number 10 wasn't in my number 10 until last night and then i had to really think about how this movie really actually impacted me over this year and i feel like it's um very under it underperformed in terms of i think a lot of people really be interested in this movie and they'll really connect with it and it's a really good mirror to our time at the minute it's called we met in virtual reality it's um it's a documentary that was released on hbo max although you can rent it over here in the uk at the moment i don't think it's free for streaming it is basically the film is all filmed in vr there is no talking heads it's all recorded in engine where we explore um couples who you've met virtually and haven't met in real life but they literally live their lives um in this little bubble and is completely directed um from covid where people had to sort of stay in lockdown and live in a bubble i met people online and connected and it's really to an outsider who's not into this world or really understands vr it can be really strange because people are you know they're going, they're going to strip clubs online they're going to, they're getting married they're having like houses and families there's there's even like deaf communities um that teach each other like sign language um it's really it's really beautiful it's kind of like un- all encompassing things and even though it's sort of at its you know it's conceptual stage at the minute where it's still ironing out the edges and kind of primitive people are really using it to its full form and there's so much potential there are people who struggle to get outside of their house and connect with people so there's like an online yoga class where there's actual instructor and you can rig yourself up and you can actually perform with a class as your avatar whether whether it's um a guy with horns on his head or whether you're kermit the frog you can all kind of work out together and it's a sort of it's kind of a beautiful kind of movie about acceptance and being yourself and nothing's too goofy and it's i thought it was really sweet and you're watching actually genuine relationships being mapped out and going forward and people actually take us further post lockdown and meet each other in real life and actually do form really serious bonds i thought it was really touching um and i think it really speaks to our time where people are really struggling to connect with each other and the world is becoming more and more uncertain and um we just need a bit of love and acceptance so I thought it was a, a beautiful movie that I think a lot of people should check out. Nice, nice. I um I actually haven't seen that film. So uh, I think, to be fair, um, I don't think there's many on your top 10 I haven't seen, maybe a couple. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, they're making your list, Chris, so it means I have to check them out. <laughs> well, I, I thought that this, you know, this was kind of dancing around my 12 to 10 spot. And I thought, you know, this movie is really special and I feel like a lot of people are never going to get around to seeing it just purely out of budget and marketing. So I felt like I needed to champion it and, and, it, and it's definitely worthy of the top 10. It, it, it's something I, it's a movie I think about a lot. So, yeah. Um, what about your number nine, Alex? Okay, my number nine is Prey, directed by mm. Dan Trachtenberg, which is a bit of a, um, I don't even know what you call it. Would you call it a reboot, a prequel, a reboot reboot cool i'm not really sure uh it's all of those yeah yeah it's kind of its own little little segment in the in the predator franchise um Mm -hmm. a franchise that i'd not actually watched until this year um i think i watched the first one to get ready for this film and then watched um the kind of subsequent um sequels afterwards um but i do think the prey film is the best film in the predator franchise and it takes it to a really interesting place as we go way back in time and we follow a comanche tribe and one of their kind of skilled wannabe warriors um as she um comes up against a very early version of uh the predator um 
it's really kind of grimy and back to basics and but at the same time quite aware of kind of its historical setting it's angry and violent and just heaps of fun all at the same time and i i can't i think it was only about like 90 minutes wasn't it it's like it's this short little angry film um with a really kind of vicious um hunt uh, in in at the center of it and um yeah no i had a lot of a lot of fun with this film um you know we we, we kind of get an, an, a great breakout role from from amber mid mid thunder here Brilliant. um amazing name and um yeah it, it, it was very actually the film is very kind of aware of its casting and everything of, of actually bringing in kind of first nations people to to play the play the roles of the Comanche tribe itself. So yeah, it's 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 an excellent, excellent, fun little action film that uh, that I had a lot of a lot of time for and um ended up watching a couple of times as well. Cause I think it's just one of those films that even if you haven't seen any of the other Predator films, um you can just kind of chuck this on and, and kind of really enjoy the, the the fun that's to be had with it. That's a really good pick. Um it didn't make my top ten this year, but um it was a movie I really, really enjoyed anyway and i think i think you're right i think it's this movie like when you hear there's a disney plus original called prey that's based on um the predator franchise and you see the poster you're like oh this this is probably gonna be a bit of a trashy movie and then you see it and it's like it's way better than has any right to be and it's way more um interested in the the village lifestyle and how the comanches are represented and even to the minute details way more than you'd expect it to be uh, which is a really cool little thing. And it's not, you know, very vocal about it. It's all just in the background while, you, while you've got this amazing sort of cat and mouse um, action movie you're watching at the same time. So like I said, it's very stripped down, but there are layers to it and it's just a really fun ride. So uh, yeah, that's a really good pick. Um, only just got out of my list um, this year. Uh, my number nine pick though, we're talking about best movies of the year. This is kind of related to my worst movie of the year. Uh. Um, <laughs> actually, I saw your list, and we both have the um, the Robert Zemeckis Disney Plus original Pinocchio as our worst movie of 2022. <laughs> um, it was my least favorite. Okay, <laughs> least favorite. Okay. <laughs> um, I, yeah, and it's not it's not really in competition with anything else. It is pretty loudly and vocally my worst movie of 2022. So <laughs> I thought I was a bit Pinocchio. I it was like, it, you know, mm. maybe the original 1930s um, Disney animation is the only one that kind of got it right. It's like, are, are, are we able to kind of make the story interesting again? And then comes along maestro Guillermo del Toro and his, um, his cast of, stop motion geniuses with uh, his version of Pinocchio, which absolutely came later this year and just blew everybody out of the park. I believe um, it really manages to tap into the, the darkness of the original story. I read the book. I don't know about you. My grandfather gave me the book when I was a kid and I read it and it was like super, super creepy, but I just couldn't stop reading it it's completely opposed to what um, the Disneyfication of, of uh, that character has became. But Guillermo surprised me with this movie where I thought it was going to go into the macabre and kind of show us um, a sort of Pan's Labyrinth-esque version of uh, of this story. Instead, we actually get a lot of heart, um, probably more so than in any other iteration I've seen of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, it manages to really balance the two really well. We have extra elements that weren't in the movie before. We've got fascism, Um really kind of laced into this movie a lot of father dynamics it's almost like a father love triangle kind of going on where it's it's um you know we're seeing different versions of the father-son relationship and uh the the rights and wrongs of it and um i thought it was just a beautiful story that was obviously visually very beautiful too to look at you know you're just watching it and you're in awe stop motion has always been something that's been really like um a bit of a weakness for me. I, I'm really, I just watch it. And I'm really appreciative of it. And if, the, and if the story is good as well, that's a bonus. And um, yeah, this is one of the highlights of animation this year. Absolutely. It was very, very close to making my top 10, um, which kind of surprised me. I was the same as you was Pinocchio out. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I don't understand. Well, I usually don't understand the obsession with wanting to uh, constantly recreate 
different versions of Pinocchio. I'm I'm I've never been that intrigued by the the, the story, and I, I just didn't understand it. But here comes Guillermo del Toro, and um, he kind of he really took it to a different place. And it was the first time I truly understood the kind of the the charm behind Pinocchio and why so many filmmakers are drawn to it um the kind of naivety of the character and, and mm-hmm. the way he can be shaped and molded and i thought the setting itself was just kind of really really up to the themes and just made a really kind of unique version of this story that for me is now the number one version uh no yeah. no doubt about it um and it's just it's really sweet even though the film ends with him burying everybody he's ever loved because he lives forever and yes. it's just kind yes. of like yes. but at the same time i'm still like i'm still weeping and i'm like this is so sweet <laughs> like i don't understand but um it's a yeah it's a brilliant brilliant little film little film not even a little film just a brilliant film yeah Absolutely. No, it, and it has, oh, I'm trying to remember the final quote in the movie that the cricket says, and it's, you know, it goes along something along the lines of, um, it has a really weird sentiment that should be really like sad in a diner, but it's actually really sweet at the end of the movie. It's like, um, we live our lives, our lives are our lives, and we then we die. And, and that's, and it comes across as really sweet at the end of the movie. It's like, it's mm. almost telling us, you know, be nice to people and kind of, you know live your life to the full and and fight against the oppressive and and just be a good person and it comes across as a really like earned message at the end of the movie too um so yeah it's it's really oddly sweet yeah it really stirred up emotions in me that i never thought i had for pinocchio um (laughs) yeah it was you hated hated that little guy by um a couple months ago (laughs) (laughs) exactly and then then this this film came along and it's just full of charm and sweetness and and uh but also and also the, the the opening 20 minutes um the kind of prologue to the story mm. um is just just something you've never seen before i think from a pinocchio film that kind of takes that an original father son relationship of geppetto's son before he passes and then um kind of dives deep into that and really kind of really does take the father son relationship to 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 new heights in this one as opposed to some weirdo Tom Hanks um, a guy just dancing around his bedroom dreaming about a real boy. <laughs> we actually get a little bit of um, reasoning to why yes. he would do that. <laughs> yes, and kind of why it's so kind of strange and creepy, but also kind of sweet all at the same mm. time. Absolutely. Uh, so, Alex, what made your number eight? So my number, my number eight is a film that maybe you'll be surprised at chris i don't know um but it's a film that's this i i you know i'll admit has many flaws but at the same time really hit home for me and you know i'm a massive nerd uh it's the only marvel film to make my top 10 and that is black panther wakanda forever uh i think if you if you take the the little marvelisms aside that kind of didn't work the mm. the shoehorned in characters and slightly dodgy cgi at times i think um our you know director ryan coogler has made um a a touching tribute to the first film's late star a brilliant sequel to that original black panther film and really kind of exploring the depths of the Marvel universe as we, he's just so good at bringing in these cultures and, you know, creating new worlds with them that also touch on, on kind of real aspects of our own histories and cultures. And I just, I really love the world of black Panther. I really love Mm. the characters of black Panther. And I think he moved them forward in, in a really touching way. Um, I think it was a worthy sequel to the first film and I had a lot of fun with it. It is, um, I think it's, a, I think it's an epic. I think the kind of, it's not a small film. It's, it's a big Marvel film, but it's got a lot of heart at the center of it. Um, and just deals with some things that, you know, I think would have scared any other director who lost the star of its film before filming it. You know, I think, I think oh, it's yeah. a re- really kind of, um, well-crafted story 
Um, you know, and like I said, it's got its little Marvel flaws, but I think I can see past them when there's so much good at the center of this film. Um, and I had, I had a great time with it. I had a brilliant, brilliant time with it. Um, I left the cinema equal parts happy and sad uh, mm. for all the right for all the right reasons. So Black Panther, there you go. I didn't think a Marvel <laughs> film would make my top ten this year, but Black Panther came at the end there and nipped it in the bud. Well, I I would certainly agree that I I love the world of Black Panther and the first film, the first film directed by Ryan Coogler would have been worthy of a top ten list for me. I I, I really enjoyed that. It's one of my favorite Marvel films. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I can completely, you know, agree with your sentiment. I'm really glad that you managed to emotionally invest in the movie. Um, for me, yeah, it's not an enviable position for Coogler to be in to direct a movie like this. The sheer logistics of how to sort of drive the story and the narrative is kind of a minefield in of itself. Um, I, I feel like the meta um, sentimental side of dealing with um, T'Challa's death and obviously real life Chadwick Boseman's death um, was really well handled but then for me that then became that sort of the branch and the tree for the subplots to balance on and I, then it became to me just a collection of subplots that were really directed in a in a in the right way um especially the you know the dominique thorny plays um ironheart i felt like her her story was really shoehorned in here and and the stuff with them um, and the stuff with uh martin Martin Freeman as well is kind of just kind of thrown in. I, I I didn't really connect with it because it was just all over the place. Um, but that's that's fine. I think I feel like a lot of people are a bit more connected to this universe than I am, so they bring a lot more to it than I do. Um, yeah, I, it wasn't the strongest film for me this year. That's fair. That's fair. I think sometimes epics are messy, you know, and I think mm-hmm. it was an epic. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, that that's fair. I, I I didn't think I'd see Black Panther on your top ten list, um, and part of me is somewhat surprised it's on mine. But uh, I keep coming back to it and um, just really kind of enjoying the whole experience of seeing it and just being uh, surprised in a way that mm. it turned out as well as it did when it seemed to have a lot set against it. Very good, Alex. Okay, so my number eight film of uh, 2022 was another sort of like slow burn sleeper hit um, of the year. And I really love the horror genre and I feel like not enough people give that genre credit in their lists every year. So my nod to to horror is Barbarian, which came out this year, which is um, a very... A very interesting movie. Uh, a, a movie that you go to the cinema and half the crowd walk out of. <laughs> it's one of it's one of those. It's um it really plays with you in terms of its mechanics, um in a way that feels kind of really earned. Um, I actually feel it's not it doesn't do that Shyamalan thing where it's like there's a twist in it and that completely ruins the next experience. I think it'll be interesting to rewatch this film with all the pieces back together. Um. Yeah, it, it basically is set on a, a, a young woman who's going for a job interview and uh, she arrives at an Airbnb um, one late, rainy, ominous e- evening and uh, she knocks on the door and Bill Skarsgård's there, he's ne- which never is really a good sign because, as we know, he is Pennywise the Clown and he usually doesn't play nice guys in movies um, <laughs> and John Wick as, as, as well. Um, so... She arrives at this house. He's already booked in. There seems to be a mistake, an error in their booking that they're both double booked in this place. Um, she's got nowhere else to stay um, and she's miles away from anywhere else. So she makes a pretty cautious decision and she's. I feel like she's in her right mind to be pretty nervous and she cautiously comes in and um, they spend the night together. And uh, yeah, he he seems nice but sort of creepy. We're kind of on tender hooks with him. Um, but the movie kind of goes from there and it goes, it goes in really ways that you don't expect it to go. It's kind of like one movie, the first half, um, well, the first third, and then turns into another movie, the second third, and then another movie, the third, um, part of it. So yeah, we get interesting characters that get introduced halfway through the story. It is really, it pulls the rug underneath you in terms of its shock value. Um, my mouth was a gap many times watching, this movie um there was genuine tension 
genuine fear that managed to be balanced out by some laugh out loud hilarious moments <laughs> so it really just kind of really played with me i was kind of a puppet on the strings for this movie and i feel like uh, the filmmaker really achieved what he needed to do here and kind of and also being a good social commentary at the same time by having some mirrored events that are kind of going on um, the last couple of years, you know, with with um, Hollywood, Hollywood in terms of uh, the patriarchy and how that's kind of used in the, in the Me Too movement. And there's it, some laugh out loud moments. There's, there's a moment in the movie where um, we kind of get this douchebag character kind of gets introduced that he's being accused and he actually owns the Airbnb and he comes back and uh, he is trying to capitalize on the property value of the, um so he discovers a basement where events of the movie happen at the beginning and uh, it looks pretty creepy and ominous and to our eyes obviously you should not be there uh there's a hidden camera down there get the hell out of there and he's just started measuring the property and uses it as a lucrative <laughs> experience to to gain more um money for the for the media squared of rate of the of the of the building it's, it's a really fun moment but um yeah i don't want to spoil it too much for people but i had a really good fun time with this movie mm, mm. i i actually watched it last night um oh, right, okay it was yeah, it was it was <laughs> well one of the last films I, uh, I've I've seen within the last twenty four hours. Um, it is uh, it is a kind of crazy horror film that really gets out there by the second half. And I know we're dancing around it because I think it is one of those films you really want to know nothing. And I, I think you reviewed it earlier in the year in one of our podcast episodes. You did a really good job of kind of making me intrigued, but at the same time not giving me the full. Mm. full breadth of the film and I, I thank you for that because uh i was really kind of shocked and surprised uh by a lot of it it probably wouldn't have made my top 10 even if i'd had some time to sit on it if i'm if i'm gonna be honest yeah. um i i think it's one of the horror films do this a lot where you kind of just have to go along with the character's stupid decisions and you're like why would you go to that cabin in the woods um here i think I sh- there's quite a lot of those moments where you really have to be like, really? You're- why are you going back into this house? Because um, she's and- a good person, that's why. <laughs> yeah, but too much has happened, man. Too much has happened. Um, and um, yeah, I just... There are elements of that that kind of took me out of the film a bit. Um, but I mean, I, I I was kind of still still very uh positive and would heap heap lots of praise on this film i think i think it's a brilliant brilliant horror film absolutely that uh might be a good segue to hit my number seven which is a horror film as well uh i well i guess i guess yeah it is a horror film it is a horror film bit of a bit of a thriller i would say as well to it which is um the black phone uh, directed by Scott Derrickson, mm-hmm. who I think is a brilliant director. He did the Sinister films. He did the the first Doctor Strange film. I, th- I think he's a really really interesting director. Um, and and here he has teamed up with Ethan Hawke once again, um, who plays this kind of creepy kidnapper um, who ends up kidnapping the wrong thirteen year old boy. I would say. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of supernatural elements to it as well as um as our main character um finney is um is kind of stuck in this basement uh where he's been taken and uses the uh there's like a phone there's why it's called the black phone and where he can (laughs) speak to like the, the dead souls of other kids who have been kidnapped and killed by this guy as they kind of help him piece together all the different ways that they've tried to escape and he kind of uses all of them to try and figure that out um it's i think it's a really smart film it's a very violent film a lot of hit on kid violence which is quite brutal um and it just really kind of makes i can't remember the exact yeah was it like 70s it's set i can't remember it's been a little minute yeah it's yeah, prime serial killer kidnapping era. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it really plays on the that kind aesthetic. of fear of that era um, of kind of like, I don't know about you, but whenever I watch like a Netflix documentary on a serial killer and there's there's tons of them, um, it just feels like, geez, everybody was being killed in the 70s. <laughs> like You couldn't yeah. escape. Um, no, woman, you're, no one was safe. Yeah, you just yeah. don't go anywhere by yourself. Basically. If you were a kid, you were being kidnapped. If you were a woman, you were 
being killed. It just like just didn't sound like a good place. <laughs> I'm sure uh, the country's so big, it wasn't always like that, but it just plays on that, those kind of feelings. Um, I remember stupidly coming out of the cinema, being like, "That felt like a like um like a Stephen King film. Like it felt yeah, like, it's like the book King we never film. got from Stephen yeah, King. Yeah, the book it? we never got from Stephen King." Uh, Turns out his son wrote it, so that kind of makes a lot of sense. Or it's based on the book, based on a short story, I think, that his son wrote. Um, so, yeah, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree on that one. Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely loved everything about this film. I had a really good time. And I'm, I'm a sucker for films that kind of do a lot of setup and then yes. pay it off really well at the end uh like there's so many little things that kind of play into the the, the final act and um it kind of it's, it's it's like a horror film that leaves you like punching the air at the end oh yeah, like, yeah yeah go you, go you, yeah because it, it turns into an escape movie where you kind of really i think it does a lot in terms of what stephen king books do really well is that he makes you hate everybody who's over the age of a teenager um all adults suck all parents yeah. are terrible people. They and yeah, and you it really does the legwork in making you on the side of the kids. Finney in this instance, um, you know, hasn't got a good dad. Um, mum's out the picture and a sister who's also really very likable and has hasn't had a good share of luck either. So we're already on the side of these kids, but we're also sort of intrigued about about uh, the Ethan Hawke character as there is a supernatural element involved in it too. So there's a lot of intrigue, but yeah, you, you are punching your fist by the end, end of the movie kind of wanting, it's like a, it's like a revolt in a way. Um, yeah. I thought it was a strong movie. There were, I thought it was just like a good movie. It, it, there was elements of it, especially in the third act. Um, I don't feel like it really solicited um, the emotion I thought it was going to solicit from. I think it's strongest moments are the shock value, you know, in terms of how the the dynamics with the parents, the kids are, the violence is very shocking. And the acting from the kids is probably some of the best child acting I have seen mm. these last few years. Um, that was yeah, something the young, I wasn't expecting. The, the young girl who plays his sister, um, yes, who has these kind of psychic powers, um, potentially kind of passed on from her mother. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Yeah, um, there's a particularly distressing scene with her where she just absolutely... Kneels the realism to an uncomfortable level. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're like, geez, do they make this little girl cry on set? This is traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's that good. Um, no, that's a really good pick, though, Alex. Um, my number seven um, is a movie I feel like a lot of people really like. Um, I haven't heard too many people diss on this movie, actually, which I'm, I'm quite surprised because it's quite a more subtle movie than I think a lot of people would have expected from this director um, mm. being Martin McDonough. Um, it's his uh, film, The Banshees of Inisherin, um, starring everybody's favorite duo, uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Um, <laughs> it's like they've only really had been a duo in one movie, but that movie in Bruges is so like iconic that it's like, they're Abbott and Costello or something like that. It's like these guys have been together forever and they just work on screen together. Um, yeah, it's kind of about two lifelong friends living on a small island off the coast of Ireland, kind of set at about, you know, turn of the century. Is it sort of like beginning of the 1900s? Mm. And um, one day, Brendan Gleeson's character just straight up says, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. And uh, straight up ignores Colin Farrell and it's funny because he gives him no reason to, and we as an audience are intrigued as to why. Um, is it is it vanity? Is there something more deeper going on? Is there something historically between these two characters? And Colin Farrell's character is just completely as befuddled as we are, and completely obsessed uh, to find the answer um, why. And uh, and it, it becomes a very interesting movie um, about death, really, um, and kind of accepting people and not being too attuned to your vanity and how important that is you know the Brandon Gleason character is so obsessed with his image and his legacy it's a movie really about legacy and what you leave behind where we are more attuned to Colin Farrell's character where you know is there something anything wrong with just being a nice person 
um that's kind of like a real sentiment of the movie that really stuck with me is like is it more important to be remembered for creating a great piece of music or is it better to be remembered as somebody who was really nice and people can look back on fondly and uh yeah as well as other things the movie's got going on its mind that's something that i thought was really sweet and the movie's also you know a Mar mcdonald movie so it's gonna be really really funny too yes um so it definitely had a lot of laughs in here too I um I watched this one the other day. Uh, finally caught up with it in that mad New Year rush as you try mm-hmm. to watch the films that might make your top ten. It was very close. Um, I thought it was brilliant, really, really funny, witty, and um, kind of really felt like Martin McDonough even kind of looking back into his own kind of um, instincts with other films, the kind of brutal violence and and kind of these these men and really kind of diving deep into like where those things are coming from. I I thought the film was more about loneliness. That's kind Mm -hmm. of where it came to me, like loneliness and boredom and, and, and what we do to try keep ourselves entertained, even if it means just cutting off your friend to feel something. Um, And uh, yeah, I just, yeah, it's one of those films where it's, it's quite, it almost feels quite painful in a way. I don't know about you, Chris, but I, 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 I thought about, what would happen if you just stopped talking to me? And I thought, mm. God, that doesn't feel very nice. And uh, I really kind of sympathized <laughs> with yeah, with Colin Farrell really trying to like dive deep into uh, kind of understanding where this sudden uh, this sudden kind of anger and disappointment comes yeah. from, um, and and uh, how it kind of un- unravels him. Um, yeah, I, I think the sentiment of can you just be a nice guy and yeah. what it means to be a nice guy. Um, and you know, uh, you just need to I, let people walk over you, or or is an element of sometimes you have to be bad mm-hmm. to be good. It's a it's a really interesting film, really interesting film that uh, uh, is kind of unlike anything else out this year. Yeah, which which really like is undercut um, with with the humor. I mean, you, what you literally said was kind of vocalized in the movie where where Brandon Gleason's at a at a confession with with. Um, with the, with the priest of the church and um the priest is like why why are you not talking to him anymore and he's like well it's not a sin is it father well it's also not very nice is it <laughs> <laughs> which is very true so um you never lose the humor but it really captures that melancholy so well and i think that mark mcdonough i think his earlier efforts although i really really enjoyed them especially in bruges can be heavy-handed with its themes and sometimes can you can question the the moral and McDonough's thinking. I think this is him kind of finding a really good sweet spot um, between the tones and delivering something that is kind of effective and thought provoking and will be kind of studied and really interesting to follow back on and look back on in future years. Yeah, I was, um, it was a lot more kind of restrained than I ever thought it was going to be. I was almost waiting for the, the grand act of violence. And I know obviously we get some pretty brutal finger moments uh <laughs> which but uh, i i don't know about you but i was i was waiting for is it barry keown is that you must know barry keegan. yeah keegan there you go yeah. yeah i knew you didn't know how to say his last name <laughs> i was almost waiting for his character to just spiral and i don't know uh, he's called great. mass murder on the island <laughs> and and i think maybe uh had this been another martin mcdonough film maybe that would would have been the way it was gonna go but mm-hmm. um it kind of goes into a more kind of even sad place there yeah. I mean, in a, the in a way that his, really shocked me. The whole thing of his character is that, you know, to the audience, he's just a buffoon and kind of like the, the laughing stock of the village and, and Colin Farrell uses him as a sort of, um, as a podium because you know at least at least i'm not as bad or dim-witted as that guy um yeah. <laughs> but also at the same time it's, it's quite an unassuming thing with his character where that kind of creeps up and there's more layers to him um as well as what you originally would see in the first act of the movie so you know yeah it, it, there's some surprises and it really catches up with you and, and it's quite it's abstract as well as being grounded it, it, it just i think he just hit out of the park here and um yeah, I'm always excited for when a McDonough film comes out, and hopefully, you know, this is a tone that he sticks with and has found a sweet spot with. Nice, nice. Guess that takes us to my number six film, which is Athena. Uh, we spoke mm-hmm. uh, in in length about this film uh, in a in a previous episode, 
um it's this french revolution in a uh, council estate essentially which also acts as a massive war film between the uh, residents there and the the police um touching on kind of um police brutality and right-wing politics and the act of the media and stuff like this um but not in a way that feels um like it's pandering towards any kind of side it kind of if anything i think what we mentioned uh in the episode was like it's politics kind of skew in a kind of mishmash way like it's trying to please everyone and doesn't really mm. work out too well um but i mean the ride along the way is probably one of the most kind of uh rip roaring visual spectacles of the year um with these incredible long shots i dare anybody to to watch the first 10 minutes of the film and not not finish the film because yeah. the opening 10 minutes of an uncut shot as uh, as our kind of protesters raid a police station and nick their weapons and, and, and vehicles and drive back to their estate is one of the most kind of like thrilling 10 minutes of a film I've ever seen and really kind mm. of gets you into the gear of like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And this, this film doesn't really let up. It's just like a roller coaster from start to end of, of kind of, crazy revolution and yeah i mean i think between this and uh and and watching the the star wars show and or i was i was ready to to to, to, to i was ready for a revolution <laughs> baby i watched the you know watch the final episode of Andor and and, and watch this and I, i'm ready to i'm ready to fight <laughs> the system baby <laughs> you know, dude, dude i i completely agree with you i think this is one of the strongest opening sequences of this year 100 percent. and i i can still remember even though it's a 10 minute sequence i can remember almost shot for shot what went on there it's just so it's so well constructed um it's almost boggles the mind and especially with such a stripped back sort of budget this isn't like a big well produced you know produced movie this is like using every tool you have in the box to make something that's as epic as possible mm. and it really hits all that um i would say that the third act or the second half of the movie kind of lets itself down when it gets a bit bogged down on the brotherly and on, on, on one of the brothers um i think when it loses one of its um vital characters um uh, one in particular who's kind of our vehicle for really pushing the the revolt i think that's when the movie starts to kind of turn on its head a little bit and maybe lost me when it kind of get bogs down in, in the melodrama but on a pure spectacle anger point of view and um I, I, th- I thought it was really arresting yeah yeah i i agree i i, I didn't feel too let down by the second half i definitely think there's some kind of murky moments but um uh, I th- I think for the the whole film, my heart was pumping. I was just like, this is mm-hmm. this is probably one of the best war films I've seen in a long time. That nobody and, has uh, seen, and everybody needs to see. Exactly, it's it's so strange. It's such a. It, I mean, there must be some money behind it because it's it's feels like a big film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of just dropped on Netflix very quietly with no fanfare, and yeah, everybody I've spoken to who's who's seen the film. Um, seems to really 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 enjoy it so doesn't make any sense to me netflix doesn't make any sense to me how they do things no i don't know doesn't make sense to me in general some of them do it right like with the cinema release and then the streaming like even disney gets that to an extent their their windows have become a bit short potentially that you know that you know, give it a couple of weeks. It'll be on Disney Plus. I think mm. there's That's some. The thing. I don't get the I don't get the Disney model. I I watched um, Strange World last night, and that was a movie that was had a limited release in cinemas, and nobody went to see it. Absolutely bombed. One of the biggest box office bombs this this year, this last year, and um, and yeah, again, it's it's not one of the trending watches on on Disney Plus, considering that it only came out in the last week on, on the platform too. So, and you can see the movie, like so much money spent on these big productions. They are big theatrical releases like, in terms of how they look and how they feel. And you're like, what is the angle at the minute? There's so many of these. Like Halloween was littered with like sequels like Hocus Pocus 2 or Disenchanted. And people, you know, they, they're, they're popular for a week and then they don't exist anymore. So it's, um, it's interesting, the whole landscape of streaming, but yeah, um, I, ho- I hope hopefully it's just a it's just a trend that's not going to last forever, or they find some way to make it work better. But um, yeah, I feel like people are getting a bit more lazy with what they watch. 
Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree, and I, I, I think Netflix are the worst at it, especially with Glass Onion. I don't understand why they didn't release that for a little bit longer than a week, because most cinemas didn't pick it up, because it was mm. only in the cinema for a week. I would have loved to have seen that in the cinema, um, but there you go. There you go. Um, my number six film of 2022 is a movie I know that you absolutely love to death, and that mm-hmm. is The Worst Person in the World. Um, I originally didn't consider this, but I, I remembered, oh yeah, this actually was a 22 release over here. So um, it, felt, it just feels like a long time ago I saw this movie, but no, I, I had to consider it for this, li- this list because you know it left such an impact on me. It's kind of chronicles um, four years in the life of a, of a young woman called Julie. He's sort of trying to navigate the waters um, of her love life as well as trying to kind of navigate her indifference to everything around her, um, her struggle to connect um, or, you know, function in ways that sort of bore her. And it's sort of relatable, you know, um, I really appreciate that we're starting to get um, female characters in films that aren't necessarily initially, initially like, um, you know, angels or, you know, manifestations of what a perfect woman is, you know, we're all people. So we all have issues. And um, I thought it was a really good exploration. It's, it's such a really remarkable film from um, Trier. Um, I know it's something that was really, it's probably going to make your list. This is the one I'm going to know that this is like going to make your list already. So I, I'm a, we've talked about this movie in length before. Um, yeah, I'm sure you feel the same way. I might do. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I know what you mean about um, putting it on the list. Wondering how how because it was a bit of a I think it was like a bit of a twenty twenty one festival, darling. Mm-hmm, but yeah. had its wide release in the states in the UK uh, this year or well twenty twenty two now. Um, so it's kind of one of those ones where all the critics had seen it, but um, us general audiences um, mainly hadn't. So. Um, yeah, it makes my list, and uh, we'll, I'll, I'll speak further on it later on. So, guys, we are splitting up our 2022 episode so that it isn't a ridiculously long episode that nobody ever listens to. Uh, <laughs> so, this episode, that. we have gone through our 10 to, 10 to 6? I don't even know how number numbers work anymore uh <laughs> films uh just to kind of overall the episode uh my number 10 was everything everywhere all at once my number nine was prey my number eight was black panther wakanda forever my number seven was the black phone and my number six was athena chris my number 10 film was we met in virtual reality number nine was guillermo del toro's pinocchio number eight was barbarian Number seven, The Banshees of Inisherin, And number six was The Worst Person in the World. Excellent. Join us next week when we will go through our five to one best films, our favorite films of mm-hmm. 2022. Some heavy hitters here. To be continued. This has been the film egg for this week. I'm Alex. And I'm Chris. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.